This is Islanders Award Winners, a podcast examining seasons in which a New York Islander took home a major NHL award. I'm your host, Dan Saracini. In this episode, we'll wrap up our look at Dennis Potvin's back-to-back Norris Trophy wins and focus on the 1979 season, when he reached his absolute peak as a player and became a leader. Lighthouse Hockey is SB Nation's home for New York Islanders news and discussion. You can find all of our podcasts, including our flagship show, Islanders Anxiety, and Weird Islanders the Podcast, by searching Islanders Anxiety in any podcasting app of your choice. At patreon.com slash islandersanxiety, you can subscribe monthly to receive ad-free episodes, bonus podcasts, and more. And as always, thank you for listening. And now, on to Dennis Potvin, Norris Trophy, 1979. But the Islanders have grown up, and Dennis Potvin along with them. Nearing his prime at the age of 25, he may represent as much as anyone the passages the Islanders have made to get to where they are in hockey today. He was, after all, the boy star come to make the Islanders respectable. If his highs were the highest, his lows were the lowest. Newsday columnist Bill Knack, December 1978. When we last left Dennis Potvin, he was being awarded the 1978 Norris Trophy at a postseason luncheon in Montreal. It was his second Norris in three seasons, and he was handed the award by eight-time Norris winner and three-time MVP Bobby Orr. Potvan, 24 at the time, had been compared to Orr since he was a 14-year-old phenom in junior hockey, which rankled the younger man. But now, with two Norris trophies under his belt, Calder Trophy as Rookie of the Year, in four straight years as the leading scorer for a team that went to three straight semifinals, Dennis Potvin didn't need to be compared to anyone. He was the single preeminent defenseman of his era. He would say later, quote, It was an individual thing with Ward. I grew up looking at him, seeing what he was doing, and knowing that he was exactly what I wanted to be. I'd lived with that since I was 14. The only question left was, how much better was Potvin going to get? At that same luncheon, Potvin's young teammate Mike Bossy also picked up some hardware, winning the Calder Trophy in a walk after a record-setting rookie season. Potvin, Brian Trottier, and Clark Gillies were also named first-team All-Stars. The awards were great, but they didn't change the fact that the Islanders had been bounced from the playoffs by an inferior Toronto Maple Leafs team that had battered, bullied, and bottled them up left, right, and sideways. It was the most embarrassing defeat in the Islanders' short history, and derailed what had been, to that point, a steady trajectory upward since their hapless expansion years. Despite the loss in the quarterfinals, the Islanders were still seen as a Stanley Cup contender heading into the 78-79 season. Before they could do that, though, they had some serious problems to sort out off the ice. The club's founder and owner, Roy Bowe, had made his money in the fashion business, founding Bowe Jest's women's apparel company alongside his wife, Dion. In 1969, Bo bought the American Basketball Association's New York Nets and owned them through three championship seasons and a move from the tiny Island Garden in West Hempstead to the -the state-of-the-art, at the time, Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum. A year later, Bo helped bring the National Hockey League to the Coliseum in the form of the expansion New York Islanders. Bo had a gregarious, flamboyant personality. Newsday columnist Joe Gergen said that in a different time period, Bo would have made a great riverboat gambler on the Mississippi, and compared him to Harold Hill from the music group. And like that character, Bo had some ulterior motives. He was constantly hustling, moving money around to keep his teams afloat. 
Over time, Bo came to owe various creditors and entities quite a bit of money. When the Islanders needed cash, he got his partners to agree to dilute their shares, which he then sold to more investors. When the Nets needed cash, Bo just diverted funds from the hockey side over to the basketball side. Gergen called it robbing Dennis Potvan to pay Howard Porter, and the Islanders' partners weren't happy about it. Nets fans were even less happy when Bo, who needed to raise about $8 million for the team to jump from the ABA to the NBA, sold his star Julius Irving to the Philadelphia 76ers for straight cash. The 1976 dumping of Dr. J was instantaneously seen as one of the worst transactions in the history of American professional sports, no hindsight required. Yeah, the Nets were an NBA team now, but without the doctor of dunkology, they just couldn't compete and moved to New Jersey a year later. The Islanders were much more successful than the Nets on the scoreboard, but had money issues of their own. When the team was founded, Bo was obligated to pay the established New York Rangers an indemnity fee of $4 million for the right to invade what had been considered their territory. Toss in the NHL expansion fee and other debts, and Bo was in the hole about $20 bucks. His partners, GM Bill Torrey, and the rest of the NHL were all afraid of the same thing, that Bo would do the unthinkable again and sell off some of his best Islanders in order to stave off bankruptcy and preserve the franchise. And number one on that list of players who could be sold at a high price was Dennis Potvan. One horrific rumor suggested that the Islanders could send Potvan to the Rangers as a way to pay off the indemnity fee. This all got the attention of NHL president John Ziegler, who wanted a full report on the state of the team. On June 1st, 1978, a meeting was held in Manhattan between Ziegler, Tory, and John Pickett, another Islander shareholder and a member of the team's executive committee. Ziegler told reporters afterward that there was no danger of the team leaving Long Island, but that, quote, it was a frank and candid discussion. The committee expressed its intention of doing all it can in respect to the Islander situation, and I expressed the league's position in investigating all possible solutions to the problems. That wasn't really good enough for NHL owners, who had a conference call with Ziegler the next day to discuss just what the hell was going on with the Islanders. Bill Torrey said the call was a good one and put fan and owner minds at ease, saying afterward, quote, I know there has been some concern around the league about the assets of the franchise. None of those assets will be sold. It's not going to happen. It has never even been considered. NHL owners, some of whom weren't fans of Roy Bowe, wanted to hear from the owner himself in yet another meeting. Of course, in typical Bo style, he was two hours late and seemed in one owner's words to be, quote, in a state of great confusion. Thomas Thornton, one of the team's partners, sued Bo for $10 million over the mismanaged funds. In a hearing with a state Supreme Court judge, Thornton asked that another of the team's limited partners be named to replace Bo as principal owner. Meanwhile, Bo was personally guaranteed a loan against the contracts of Potvan, Tory, and Coach Al Arbor. If those payments were defaulted on, it was possible that all three could become free agents. Bo also admitted that a loan from the Islanders to the Nets could not be repaid by the basketball club under any circumstances. The riverboat gambler can see it was about time to fold. Eventually that summer, Thornton's lawsuit resulted in John Pickett, who had accompanied Bill Torrey to that earlier meeting with John Ziegler, being named the team's general managing partner. This satisfied the NHL, settled the lawsuit, and spelled the end of Roy Bowe as Islanders' owner. In just two years, Bowe went from owning two of the most exciting and intriguing teams in their respective sports to being run out of both on a rail. He was gracious in defeat, saying after the judge's decision, quote, 
Look, I have nobody to blame but myself. I made decisions, bad decisions, and I take responsibility for it. I was too close to it, too emotionally involved. John is more businesslike about it. He can come in with a fresh viewpoint and see things that I can't. By mid-July, Pickett and Tory presented the NHL with a long-term financial plan to settle the Islanders' debts and raise more capital. Siegler was impressed and said, quote, The league is very pleased that one of our finest teams on the ice is now on a firm basis off the ice. With all that settled, the players and coaches had a season to prepare for. But even in the days before social media, they were all aware of what was happening. Dennis Potvin, who was the focus of so much of the fear of what Bo might do, told reporters, quote, We sat around after the season, maybe brooding, blaming ourselves, and wondering about ourselves. But then we heard all this stuff about the team maybe folding. There were rumors that because of the financial problems I was going to be traded, I never once thought about going to another team. All I ever wanted to do was stay with the Islanders. I've got everything I could ever want on this club. The humiliating loss to the Maple Leafs would hang over the Islanders all summer. Players heard fans asking them what happened for months. Coming into training camp 1978, every player and coach was determined to wipe the memory of that dreadful series out of everyone's minds. The Islanders were still a member of the NHL's upper crust and a definite Stanley Cup contender, along with the Boston Bruins. A level above both of them were the Montreal Canadiens, who had won the last three Cups and were head and shoulders ahead of everybody. The Islanders had all the tools to win it all. Talent up and down the lineup, a great coach, and a chip on their shoulder. All they had to do was get out of their own way. As Newsday's Pat Calabria wrote in his 1978-79 Islanders preview, quote, the biggest challenge, it would seem, would come from the Islanders themselves. The season started on October 12th, 1978, with a 2-2 tie in Buffalo, and then an inexplicably disastrous 10-7 loss in Toronto two nights later. The Islanders wanted to use the early game to take a measure of revenge on the epicenter of their fragile mental state. Instead, they were on the losing end of a game from another dimension. Defenseman Dave Lewis summed it up afterwards saying, quote, I've never been in a game like that in my whole life, and I never want to be in one like it again. Lone bright spot for the Islanders in the game was the play of Dennis Potvin, who scored a natural hat trick with three straight goals scored in a span of three minutes and 21 seconds. It was the first ever natural hattie in team history, and at the time were the three fastest goals ever scored by defensemen in NHL history. Two games into the season, Potvin was already setting new records. Not that it made that bizarre loss go down any easier. Potvin said after being told of all of his accomplishments, quote, all that and we lose? Strange. They shook off the loss with three straight wins, including one in Montreal, a place that had never been kind to the Islanders in their history. Potvin led the way with a goal and an assist against the Habs and was beginning to take more of a leadership role in the locker room. He wasn't afraid to call out the team's occasional lapses in concentration and demanded more from his teammates. Quote, No one has to tell you what's expected of you. I don't think you're a professional if someone has to tell you that. Potvin picked up three assists over the two follow-up wins against Pittsburgh and the New York Rangers. He also picked up a new defense partner in Bob Lorimer, who was still considered a rookie despite playing a handful of games with the Islanders in the previous season. The superstar had no problem being paired with a 25-year-old work in progress, telling Newsday, quote, I'm not the easiest guy to play with. I gamble and go after the puck. I know that Bob's always going to be where he should be. 
the best compliment I can pay him is that I go out there and worry about myself because I know I don't have to worry about him. The only thing is, he could talk a little more out there. In fact, Lorimer had been so quiet since coming up to the Islanders that his teammates said they had never actually heard him speak, and so he was given the sarcastic nickname of Gabby. Potvan picked up seven points in his next four games on a goal and six assists. The Islanders went 2-1-1 in the games, and their loss in Atlanta was a personally painful one for Potvan. He took a stick in the eye and left the game bruised and battered like many of his other teammates. The 8-5 loss was yet another leaky defensive effort, and they were starting to drive Coach Al Arbor crazy. Quote, the defensemen aren't helping the forwards, and the forwards aren't helping the defensemen, and nobody's helping the goalie. Nobody's helping anybody. They had surrendered 19 goals in their last four games, and an alarming 38 in their nine games that season. This was an unfamiliar feeling, and the leader of the Islanders' defense, who turned 25 on October 29th, didn't like it. Potvan told Joe Gergen, quote, We take pride in our defense. I can remember saying, get us three goals and we'll get a win or at least a tie. Now three goals don't get you a smell. And so a team meeting was held to get everyone on the same page and potentially stop the bleeding. The Islanders then went out and lost 4-1 in Boston, ballooning their goals against to 42 in 10 games. Even pairing Potvan with his traditional D partner in Dave Lewis again wasn't enough to get the ship right that night. But over the next month and change, the Islanders would do almost everything right and run roughshod over the NHL in the process. They would win 12 of their next 15 games, establishing themselves as one of the league's best teams. The streak started with a 4-1 win over Washington, in which Dennis Potvan scored twice, giving him his 6th and 7th goals in 11 games that season. As of November 11th, Potvan led the Islanders in scoring with 17 points. He then added assists and wins over the North Stars and the new-look New York Rangers. An influx of talent from the rival WHA in the form of Swedes Anders Hedberg and Ulf Nilsson, and a new coach in Fred Shiro, had given the Rangers a transfusion of fresh blood. After years of the Islanders coming out on top, the Rangers were ready to actually challenge them. Newsday's Joe Gergen wrote that, quote, The potential of the series has never been realized, the promise never fulfilled, but the 1978-79 season has possibilities. Throughout November of 1978, just beating the Islanders seemed impossible. After a tie against Colorado, they reeled off five straight wins to run their unbeaten streak to 10 games. Again, Potvan led the way, scoring goals in three straight, including a rematch with the Rockies, in which he added three assists as well. He also had three assists and a win over Vancouver. After a tie, a win, and another tie, in which Potvan and Mike Bossy scored goals 11 seconds apart, it was back-to-back wins, a 7-1 demolition of St. Louis, and a 3-2 win in Toronto that finally snapped the Leafs' mental hex over the Islanders. Starter Chico Resch said, quote, I think that's the most satisfying win of the year. The victory gave the Islanders a franchise-record 15-game unbeaten streak and left them alone in first place in the Patrick Division, leapfrogging them over the hot-starting Atlanta Flames. But the streak came to an end on December 10, 1978 in Montreal, where the Islanders were used to heartbreak. Potvan had a chance to tie the game in the final dozen seconds, but his shot went low rather than high, and the Canadians held on for a 4-3 win. Potvan lamented after the game, quote, Damn, I wanted it high. I just got the top of the puck. I kind of fanned on it. Potvan knew he had goalie Ken Dryden beaten if he could have just lifted the puck and told him so on the ice. And Dryden didn't disagree either, 
telling reporters, quote, with a shot like he has, he's pretty much got you. If he gets it up high like he wanted to, then it probably goes in. Despite the loss, the Islanders were in good shape as of the middle of December. Their 39 points on 17 wins, 4 losses, and 5 ties put them in second overall in the entire NHL, and just one point behind Boston and Montreal, who each had 40. The Islanders were also 5 points clear in the Patrick division over the 2nd place Rangers. After the loss of the Habs, the Islanders went on another undefeated streak through the rest of December, picking up 7 more wins and 2 ties. And Dennis Potvan remained figuratively on fire, collecting 4 goals and 10 assists in those 9 games. He had three assists and a home win over the Red Wings, then goals in each of the next three, all victories. His second period goal in a 3-0 win in Detroit was classified as the backbreaker by Billy Smith, who made 21 saves in his first shutout in a year. Smith told reporters afterward, quote, When Denny scored, I felt we had them. It just seemed to sag then. Three nights later, Potvan had a goal and an assist in a 5-1 win over a terrible St. Louis team. Blues coach Barkley Plager saw a big difference between the two clubs, saying, quote, if we had a Dennis Potvan, we'd be 100 goals better. After somehow netting only a single assist in a 9-4 demolition of the Rangers at the Coliseum that included a legendary five-goal performance from Brian Trottier, Potvan had another three-assist game and a win over the Leafs. He then picked up a goal and an assist in a 10-4 destruction of the Atlanta Flames on December 28th. The goal was Potvan's 15th in just 35 games that season to go along with 31 helpers. In the second half of the home-at-home with the Flames to close out 1978, the Islanders won 4-2. Rather than being relieved at the win, Potvan was pissed off that Bob McMillan beat him to a puck and scored. Despite a hiccup here and there, the Islanders and their defensive leader were nigh unstoppable at this point. The no-holds-barred team meeting that they had back in early November was seen as the turning point in their season. They had lost only once since, and only had four defeats in their first 35 games. As 1978 came to a close, they had scored 166 goals and surrendered just 97. They were 13-0-4 at Nassau Coliseum, the last unbeaten home team in the NHL that season. Columnist Joe Gergen wrote that the raw statistics were, quote, a small, unsatisfying measure of the team the Islanders have become in the last seven weeks of 1978. In that time, they have grown into a force that is occasionally astonishing, frequently devastating, and almost always entertaining. As currently constituted, they are a delight to the senses. The always quotable Resch colorfully described his team's offensive attack as, quote, nuclear power out there. The Islanders started 1979 with a 9-0 victory over the Vancouver Canucks on January 2nd. Dennis Potvin somehow only left that ass-kicking with two assists. Mike Bossy's hat trick and Brian Trottier's four assists did most of the damage. They followed that warm up performance with back to back games against the Philadelphia Flyers, who, along with the Rangers, were 11 points behind the Isles in the Patrick Division standings. The Islanders lost the first game at the Spectrum 3 1, just their fifth loss of the entire season. They avenged themselves in the next game, winning 5 1 on the strength of Dennis Potvin's 16th and 17th goals of the season. But the most memorable aspect of the game was the 166 combined penalty minutes the rivals racked up between them. A third-period hit on Mike Bossy by Philly's Dave Hoyta led to Clark Gillies retaliating and instantly igniting a brawl that sucked in almost every player on the ice. Multiple players were assessed multiple penalties, 
with the Islanders getting 95 and the Flyers 71. For the Islanders, it was all about protecting their pacifist teammate while also showing that they couldn't be intimidated. With the dust settled, the Islanders alternated wins and ties in their next four games. Potvan picked up six assists in that string, including two each in games against Detroit and Atlanta. He also had an assist on the Islanders' only goal in a much calmer 1-1 tie with the Flyers on January 14th. By now, the Islanders weren't just good. They were bordering on perfect, which was exactly what Al Arbor was constantly pushing for. Arbor's system and principles had created one of the most dangerous teams in hockey, and his players, as talented as they were as individuals, knew that operating as a team and doing what the coach wanted was the true path to success. Even Potvan, one of the two most productive offensive defensemen in NHL history, held fast to Arbor's edicts. He would give up shots in order to pass to open teammates. He almost always remembered to, quote, never leave your teammates defenseless, and kept playing the Islanders' way even in blowout wins. Potvan told the New York Times for a 1979 feature on Arbor that, quote, the team's common goal is still the search for perfection. We've never been there, and we don't know how good we can be. With a record of 23-2-6 since November 2nd, the Islanders were damn near perfect. Thanks to that run, they were now in first place overall in the NHL, jumping past Montreal and Boston. The Islanders had 64 points to the Bruins and Habs 63. With only five losses on the season, no team had tasted defeat less than they had. The Washington Capitals, by comparison, had tasted almost nothing but defeat since they joined the NHL four years earlier. And on January 16, 1979, they were on the receiving end of a signature performance by Dennis Potvin. The Blue Liners scored three goals in a 6-2 win at Nassau Coliseum, his second hat-trick of the season. The goals were the 18th, 19th, and 20th for him, and he nearly had number 21 had his fourth shot of the game not hit the post behind Caps goalie Gary Innes. It was an awe-inspiring game from a singular force that most teams had no answer for. Despite being victimized by him, Innes had nothing but compliments for Potvan after the game, telling reporters that, quote, Potvan doesn't stand out like he used to on the Islanders because there is so much more talent on the team now, but he is still effective. In fact, he's close to being the complete defenseman. Defensively speaking, he's quite good. Offensively, he is extremely good. With 20 goals in 43 games, Potvan had a good chance to not only surpass his career high of 30 goals in a season, but to even match or beat Bobby Orr's then-NHL record of 46 goals. Potvan had already netted more goals in his first five years than Orr had in the same time period a decade and a half earlier, 124 to 115. But Potvan didn't want to hear about any of that, telling Newsday between puffs of a post-game cigarette, quote, I don't look at goals as something I want to attain. I would have to be more offensive, and there's no need for that on this team. But if I ever get to 45 goals, I'll think about it. Dennis Potvan was on a level all of his own, both on the ice and off of it. He was a very different cat than many of his teammates, some of whom simply didn't understand who he was as a person. Mike Bossy's first impression of him was that he was more of a businessman than an athlete. In our last episode, we looked at Potvan getting his own office at a marketing firm in Manhattan. Dennis and his wife Debbie preferred to spend their free time in the city rather than on the island. They loved comedy clubs, nightclubs, museums, fancy restaurants, and other distractions that New York has to offer. Having grown up just minutes from downtown Ottawa, Potvan was used to having a lot to do right at his fingertips. And having been treated as a star since he was a kid, 
he certainly enjoyed being in the middle of the action and experiencing the finer things. In a feature by Newsday columnist Bill Knack, Potvin talked about his interests and how they set him apart from other Islanders. Quote, A lot of the players here disagree with me, but different strokes, different folks. That's my personal feeling. I'd much rather live in the city. When I first came to New York, I was so enthused by the city that I spent a lot of time there. Other guys had different lives, went different ways. People took that as a put-down of the rest of my teammates, but it wasn't. Of course, Islanders fans, sensitive both then and now to how their team is perceived, might have worried that Potvin had an eye towards playing for their city rivals. But they didn't need to sweat it. He told Knack, quote, Would I rather be a Ranger? I'd love for the Islanders to be playing in the city. Al Arbor wasn't concerned about his best defenseman wanting to play for their team's biggest rival, but he was worried about how his players were going about their business. Despite the 6-2 win over the Caps and the 13-point lead in the division, the coach wasn't happy, telling Newsday, quote, We're not executing. We only played as well as we had to against Washington. Maybe the coach was onto something. The Islanders lost to the Rangers 5-3 at Madison Square Garden on January 18th. Goalie John Davidson was outstanding, making huge stops on both Trotty and Potvan to preserve the win. It was the Islanders' second loss in their last 18 games, and started Chico Resch's first defeat since the second game of the season. But worse was that Potvan was forced to leave the game with a shoulder injury in the third period after he was pushed from behind and crashed into the bottom of the boards. He tried to stay in the game, but Arbor noticed the pain getting progressively worse, so he pulled him. He was sent to the hospital for x-rays and was later diagnosed with a mild shoulder separation. Potvin was expected to be out for up to 14 days. He was hoping to come back within 10, if not just one week, saying, quote, this is no time of year to be sitting around. He resumed skating a day after the injury. Taking his place in the lineup would be defenseman Pat Price, who ironically had asked to be traded a year earlier due to inconsistent playing time and clashes with Arbor. The injury also made Potvin's status questionable for the upcoming Challenge Cup series against the Soviet Union. The three-game series would be played in the next month, and Potvin hoped to be part of the NHL All-Star team that would face the Russians. In a way, maybe all of this would work out. He told Newsday, quote, Maybe the rest will do me good, and I'll be much more effective later. Everyone needs a rest, and now I've got one. Potvin would go on to miss four games. The first three were wins for the Islanders two against the mediocre Chicago Blackhawks, and one important 4-2 victory over the Boston Bruins, who had been challenging the Isles for first overall in the league. The loss would derail the Bruins and send them into a slump that would ultimately take them out of the race for the NHL's regular season championship. The Islanders' final game without Dennis Potvin was a 7-2 blowout loss to the Rangers at Nassau Coliseum that was even more disastrous than it sounds. The embarrassing defeat snapped the Islanders' home winning streak at 23 games, 28 if you went back to the previous season. They had not lost to the Rangers at home in almost three full years, going 8-0-1 dating back to 1976. While they still had a 12-point lead in the division over their rivals, the route was concerning. Lorne Henning told reporters, quote, The way we played tonight, anybody could have beaten us. It was chaos. Without their star defenseman, the Islanders were simply a good team, but hardly a great one. Although they had picked up six of a possible eight points while he was sidelined, the Islanders just simply weren't the same. Potvin had been on the ice for every single one of the Islanders' 43 power play goals that season, and for all but one of their last 170 power play goals, going back three seasons. Meanwhile, in the four games without him, the Islanders' power play went just three for 20. 
Fortunately, help was on the way. Potvin returned to the lineup for a home game on January 30th against the Minnesota North Stars. But getting their best defenseman back after a two-week absence didn't give the Islanders the lift they were hoping for. They lost 5-4, giving up two goals in eight seconds in the first period, then the game-winning goal with less than four minutes left in the third. Their eighth loss was the first time all season that they had suffered back-to-back defeats. Potvin was given a standing ovation by the Coliseum crowd the first time he came off the bench and only played a handful of shifts, mostly on the power play. But his 21 seconds of ice time in the second period was enough to be described as, quote, sensational by the New York Times. He picked up his 40th assist of the season on Clark Gillies' goal, and he was happy to be back, saying, quote, let me tell you, it feels good to be appreciated. But overall, the Islanders were starting to feel the strain of injuries and the pressure to keep winning. Bob Bourne told reporters, quote, I'm confused. I thought we were going too well, rolling along to let these things happen. I thought we'd learned too many lessons to do this to ourselves. And there were more obstacles coming. Pavan's comeback lasted just one game. He sat for three more, in which the Islanders went 1-1-1. Beating the Flyers was good and tying the Bruins was okay, but giving up two goals in a minute and a half in the third to blow a 4-3 lead to the Blackhawks was neither of those. Not only did Potvin have to watch those games from the press box, but his injury was now seriously jeopardizing his chance to play with his fellow All-Stars at the Challenge Cup Series versus Russia. A poll of NHL players voting on who should represent the league in the series was split evenly between Islanders and Canadians players. Published in the New York Times on February 5, 1979, the poll of 271 NHLers had the first team of All-Stars consisting of Potvin, Clark Gillies and Brian Trottier, along with Montreal's Guy Lafleur, Larry Robinson, and Ken Dryden. Potvin was also the leading vote-getter among all defensemen, beating out Robinson, Boya Salming, and the Habs pair of Serge Savard and Guy Lapointe. Potvin hoped to play in the Challenge Cup series, but was waiting for the doctors to give him the okay. He had been in constant communication with Islanders and All-Star Team GM Bill Torrey about his status. Meanwhile, the other NHL All-Stars were curious as to how the Russians would fare in the three-game set at Madison Square Garden. Players with experience against the Soviets talked about how they worked like a machine and were more physical than expected. Ken Dryden talked about the palpable fear of playing against the team that had a history of dominating and destroying their opponents. But the NHLers did have advantages over them, such as their net front presence and face-off ability. In Game 1, played on February 8, 1979, the NHL All-Stars came out on top 4-2. Both Clark Gillies and Mike Bossy scored goals, with the latter also getting an assist on the former score. But they were not joined by Dennis Potvin, who was told to get more rest by doctors. Potvin had spent Game 1 in the radio booth doing color commentary. Down below, and with a tight-checking game plan led by Montreal's Bob Gainey, the NHL All-Stars won a complete game victory. As Newsday's Joe Gergen described it, quote, the Soviet skaters searched for room, but the garden ice was overbooked. Philadelphia's Bobby Clark decided to talk a little trash after the win, saying, quote, The mystique of the Russians was now gone. And the news got even better with the reveal that Potvin would be back for Game 2 of the series two days later. But that game and the next did not go as expected. Coming back from a shoulder injury and with nearly three weeks off, Potvin played mostly on power plays and looked occasionally rusty in Russia's 5-4 victory in Game 2. He was also on the ice for the game-winning goal, sliding to attempt a block on a 2-on-1 
after partner Guy Lapointe was caught up ice. Sergei Makarov shot on Dryden, and Vladimir Golikov scored off the rebound. The loss was heartbreaking to the All-Stars, and even Bossy Trottier and Gillies combining for two more goals didn't lift their spirits. Gillies said, quote, Maybe we weren't ready for the game. Don't ask me why, because I don't have an answer. But Potvin, ever the diplomat, took a more ecumenical approach. Quote, Look, we're going to try and win this thing just like they are. But whoever wins, it's not the end of the world. The Russians were figures of both fascination and fear. Potvin and Dryden watched their opponents practice before the final game in the series. When one Soviet player whiffed on a puck, Potvin turned to the goalie and said, See, Ken, they can blow a pass too. The Russians didn't blow much in Game 3, beating the NHL All-Stars 6-0 to take the series and thoroughly dismantling not just their play, but their entire sense of where they stood in the hockey world. The physical intimidation that the NHLers were counting on to give them the edge was completely ineffective against the highly skilled and intensely trained Soviets. Trash-talking Bobby Clark now said after the humiliating defeat, quote, We'll have to look at our game. The Russians are better. Bill Torrey cited the visitors' quote, non-stop skating style. Potvin credited the Russians with having not just a superior lineup, but a solid game plan as well. Quote, There aren't many teams in the National Hockey League who could put out four lines like they did, each one looking the same, playing the same. And they had a system. Any team that has a system beats one that doesn't. When we come back from the break, Dennis Potvin and the Islanders radiate through the second half of the season and into the playoff matchup that seemed predestined to happen. And then, meltdown. Join us after these messages. After the Challenge Cup series, the Islanders returned to the NHL and their own established system with a 6-1 route of the Colorado Rockies on February 13th. Back in the lineup for good was Dennis Potvin, who scored his 21st goal of the season in the win. To this point, the Islanders were leading the Patrick Division and were one of the best teams in the NHL. They had their sights squarely set on the league's best record, but they lacked a definable identity. Writing for Newsday, visiting columnist Peter Gammons said that while the Islanders had all the elements, quote, until a team has established its personality under pressure, as Montreal, Philadelphia, and Boston have done in the last five years, no one in hockey really believes it. What Gammons was articulating was what everyone around hockey felt at the time that when the pressure was on, the Islanders generally wilted. After a 2-1 loss in Buffalo, it was four straight wins. Potvin had a club record tying four assists in a 5-2 comeback victory in Vancouver. A week later, he had assists on every goal in a 3-1 home win over Detroit, including a helper on Bossy's 50th of the season. Potvin spotted Bossy flying towards the slot with his stick in the air and hit him with the perfect pass for Bossy to score in his 10th straight game, tying an NHL record. And then, it happened. The 3-2 loss to the Rangers at Madison Square Garden on February 25th in 1979 was demoralizing on a number of fronts. For one, Bossy's goal streak was snapped, and he wasn't able to pass Bobby Hall and Andy Bathgate for the record for most consecutive games with a goal. In fact, Bossy didn't even record a shot on net in the game. Second, it was the Rangers' third straight victory over the Islanders, making them the only team in the NHL with more than one win over them all season. Visitors were flat and ineffective all game, which, to a man, made them feel frustrated, angry, and embarrassed. Potvin said afterward, quote, 
Damn right I'm surprised. I guess we must have expected them to hand us three goals on a platter. We didn't do anything. I don't know what we were thinking. They aren't Colorado, you know? But none of that was it. It was a check laid by Dennis Potvan on Rangers leading scorer Ulf Nilsson near the end of the first period. Nilsson hit a rut on the garden ice as Potvan's 205-pound body hit his 175-pound body. Nilsson crashed into the boards and came up in obvious pain. The final diagnosis was a broken ankle that would sideline him for the rest of the season. Potvan was not penalized by referee Bruce Hood, nor should he have been. The hit, made mainly with Potvan's shoulder, was fine. Even the Rangers, including Nilsson, agreed at the time. Rangers coach Fred Shiro said of the check, quote, It was a hard check, but you can't penalize a guy for hitting hard. Nope, it was how Nilsson fell that did the damage. Potvan said, quote, As I hit him, he tried to pivot away and his skate must have got caught on the ice. I hit him clean. I got him with my shoulder. He hurt his ankle, didn't he? If I hurt him intentionally, it would have been with the shoulder. I think that makes it clear that it was not something that I did. But that didn't matter to the Garden faithful, who started a chant that night that continues to this day. Pot Van sucks. He heard the chants in that game and every time the Islanders and Rangers would play for the rest of his career. Later that same season, when the chants from Rangers fans were just too loud to ignore, Potvan told the New York Times' Dave Anderson, quote, I heard those cheers. They made me very sad for those people. Despite the disaster at the Garden, the Islanders were still very much in control of their own future. They had four players in the top 10 in scoring, including Potvan, who was 10th with 21 goals and 49 assists for 70 points. Gillies, Bossy, and Trottier were ahead of him. With a little over a month to go before the playoffs, the Islanders were 38, 11, and 10, and in first place in the Patrick Division, but trailed Montreal by six points for first overall. They shrunk that gap with a monstrous 7-3 win over the Habs to close February. Potvan had a goal and two assists, and Clark Gillies had a hat trick. The loss to the Rangers, a practice under the watchful, seething eye of Al Arbor, and a fear of trades and changes had motivated the Isles to their biggest win ever over Montreal. Podvan compared this game to the one against the Rangers and made the difference clear. Quote, Sunday, we did nothing right. Tonight, we were hungry and mad and did it all. In the dozen games immediately following their route over Montreal, the Islanders put together another good string, going 8-2-2. But they weren't completely dominating. In fact, the run started with a single win sandwiched between losses and an odd ailment that came out of nowhere. Clark Gillies missed five games with chickenpox, derailing what had already been a 31-goal season for the Burley winger. Then a listless loss in Atlanta sent Al Arbor into a spiral of pacing and chain-smoking. Coach let loose on the Islanders, calling the game a disgrace, and his players big-headed. Arbor continued saying, quote, I'm worried. I really am. I'm worried and I think they should be too. It doesn't seem like anyone wants to sacrifice anymore. Arbor's main concern was another playoff flameout like the one against Toronto the year before. He needed his team to find their consistency and not alternate wins and losses. Potvin understood where Arbor was coming from, telling Newsday, quote, I know how badly I felt after the loss of the Leafs. I wanted to go away and hide for two months. I know how badly Al must have felt. They followed up that loss with a win over Atlanta, a loss to Buffalo, and a tie against St. Louis. Consistency would have to wait. 
Eventually, they did find their stride, thanks in large part to Potvin. Within that 12-game stretch was perhaps the finest work of his already incredible season. He piled up 8 goals and 13 assists for 21 points as the Islanders chased down the first-place Habs. He had 8 two-point performances, a goal and an assist each against St. Louis, Boston, the Rangers, Minnesota, and Montreal, and two assists in games against Atlanta, Chicago, and Pittsburgh. He picked up two goals and an assist against Toronto, including a shorthanded tally. He had goals in four straight games and in six of eight. The Islanders put together a 10-game unbeaten streak, including five straight victories and another huge win over the Canadians, 5-3 at Montreal Forum on March 22nd. In that one, Potvin hit the 30-goal mark for the third time in his career, scoring what would stand as the game winner midway through the second period. Having 30 goals and 90 points on the season and putting up an insane five goals and 12 assists in just four games were less important to Potvin than a significant and complete team victory. Rather than focus on his chances at scoring 40 that season, he stayed in the moment, telling reporters, quote, what made the 30th goal important to me was the fact that it helped us win. Potvin also praised the work of goalie Chico Resch and celebrated the victory with his teammates in the jubilant locker room as the Islanders opened a four-point lead over the Habs for first overall in the NHL. No matter where they were or who they were playing, Dennis Potvin was leading the Islanders to points and was already the frontrunner for his second straight Norris Trophy as the NHL's best defenseman. Along with Brian Trottier's quest to beat Guy Lafleur to the Art Ross Trophy as the league's leading scorer and Mike Bossy's 59 goals, playing the Islanders was a scary proposition. They crossed the 100-point mark with a 5-2 win over the Rangers on St. Patrick's Day and still had 11 games left in the season. The victory was about more than just crossing that threshold, though. Potvan said afterward, quote, We had the idea that we could beat anyone but the Rangers. Now we can say we have the feeling we can beat them, too. We're over that hump. But, as they were wont to do, the Islanders created more humps for themselves. Both ends of a home-at-home set with the Penguins ended in ties with the first causing a mini panic in the Islanders' locker room. Having discussed the possibility of taking their foot off the gas before the game, they let it happen anyway, giving up a goal to Rick Kehoe 75 seconds in and never fully recovering. Potvan, who had two assists to run his point streak to nine games, tried to look at the positive afterwards, saying, quote, We were aware a letdown could happen. I think we tried everything possible to not let it happen. We talked about it. We got better as the game went on. And now that it's happened... Maybe it was good for us in the long run, now that it's over with. In the second of the back-to-back, it was the Islanders scoring late to tie the game on an innovative play cooked up by Arbor. With Chico Resch pulled and 50 seconds left in the game, Arbor placed winger Bob Bourne in front of the Islanders' crease. When they won the faceoff in the Pittsburgh zone, Bourne flew up the ice and ended up assisting on Mike Bossy's game-tying goal, his 60th of the season. So, one tie bad, one tie good. But in a 6-1 loss to Chicago on March 29th, it was all bad. Almost nothing went right for the Islanders on the night, and not even Bossy's 61st goal of the season could bring any joy. Not only did the loss snap their 10-game unbeaten streak, but it left the Isles two points behind the Canadians for first overall. A closed-door meeting was held by the players, who now had six games remaining to overtake Montreal and win their first regular season championship. Meanwhile, Arbor was his usual blunt self, saying, quote, if they don't want to win badly enough, then there's nothing I can do. We didn't do anything right, in anything. How do you figure it? They bounced back to shut out Buffalo at the Coliseum 2 to nothing, 
but then a night later dropped an inexplicable 6-4 loss to Washington, a lousy team the Islanders had completely owned since it entered the NHL five seasons earlier. The Isles were down 6-1 to the Caps going into the third period and scored three times, including Bossy's 63rd. But it wasn't enough, and it left the Islanders with just four games left to get into first place before the end of the regular season. And they won all four. In those wins, Dennis Potvin tallied six points on a goal and five assists. After assisting on Billy Harris's game-winning goal against Atlanta, Potvin scored his 31st of the season in a 3-1 win over the Flyers on April 5th. A couple of nights later, he got an assist on Mike Bossy's fourth goal of the game and 67th of the season in a 9-2 blowout of those same Flyers. The point was the 99th on the season for Potvin. A 5-2 win over the Rangers in the season finale would have been a satisfying end. But when word came down after the second period that the Detroit Red Wings had shut out the Canadians 1-0, the Islanders stomped in their rivals' throats, scoring three times to secure the win and their first place overall finish. The visitors' locker room at Madison Square Garden exploded with cheers and champagne as the Islanders, just seven years into their existence, had pushed aside all comers to reach the top of the heap. Potvan, who added two final assists to his total, giving him a career-high 101 points on the season, felt that the ending was perfect. Quote, Doing it like this, us winning and everything, makes it feel so good. That's the beautiful thing. Once again, it was just him and Bobby Orr at the top of a list, this time as the only defenseman in NHL history at the time to have scored 100 points in a single season. Potvin felt a change come over him that season, one that allowed him to embrace his potential. He told Newsday's Pat Calabria, quote, I felt a certain presence about me that I didn't recognize before. I just feel it. I know what I have to do all the time. I just have to keep it rolling. It's like riding the high. I want to see everybody else feeling the same way. As far as I'm concerned, nobody's going to stop us and nobody is going to stop me. The numbers were staggering for the Isles who had perhaps the most insane offense in the game. Five scorers with at least 30 goals, Trottier with 134 points on 47 goals and 87 assists, Bossy with 69 goals, and Potvan with 31 goals and 70 assists. For Bill Torrey and Al Arbor, the men who had the blueprint and the game plan to put this team together, the regular season championship was a massive achievement. Torrey gave his players all the credit, saying, quote, We could have folded, but we didn't. We had some bad games, looked like we had lost the chance. It would have been easy for the team to say, ah, we'll ride it out. But the guys gave it a great run down the stretch. They did it. Even Arbor admitted to smiling, quote, once in a while, and asked if he could relax now. Sorry, coach, there were still the playoffs to get through. And they started with a series against the sitting duck Chicago Blackhawks. Chicago was a pedestrian 29-36-15 in the 78-79 season, but that record was good enough for first place in the absolutely awful Smythe division and a buy into the quarterfinals. For the Blackhawks, just winning their first playoff game in four years would have been a giant leap forward. But for the Islanders, it was all or nothing. Mike Bossy told Newsday before the playoffs began, quote, We have to get to the finals and we have to win the Stanley Cup. Nothing less than that would be satisfactory. Potvan knew what was at stake and what needed to be done. Quote, it's a 20-man game, but it takes everyone to be number one. Sadly, for Chicago, it would be another season without so much as a single playoff win. 
They were swept by the Islanders in four straight games, running their streak of postseason losses to 16 straight. It was evident which way the series was going to go after Game 1's 6-2 Islanders victory, which the Blackhawks were never really in. Leading the way for New York were Bossy and Potvan. The former had a hat trick, and the latter had a goal and two assists. Potvan called his goal, which gave the Islanders a 5-2 lead in the third, his best play of the night. But Chicago's Cliff Coral summed it up by saying, quote, everything went right for them. Games 2, 3, and 4 were no different. The Islanders won Game 2 1-0 thanks to 22 saves from Billy Smith and another goal by Bossy. Game 3 was another shutout, this time 4-0 in favor of the Islanders. Potvin had assists on the first two goals, then scored to the fourth and final in the third period as the cherry on top. Blackhawks fans were so pissed off by this point that they began littering the ice with paper faster than the refs could collect the wads and toss them in the trash. Islanders defenseman Jerry Hart called it a disgrace and said that Chicago, quote, didn't deserve a hockey team. In the formality of Game 4, the Islanders generously allowed the Blackhawks to score a second goal in the series, but they put up three of their own, including another one by Potvan, to open up the score. Back for Merrick, drop pass for the blue line, Hart has to hustle, and he's flattened by Lysiak, who got the elbow up into Jerry Hart. Islanders keep the puck in, however, Potvan scores! Dennis Potvan! And a centering pass from Gary Howitt. And Jerry Hart paid with his body to keep that play in there, but he did his job, and the Islanders opened the scoring. Well, the man who sat out last game, boy, I, yeah, and sure proud and happy for him because uh, you watch the pass that he's going to make out to Dennis Totvan out in front of that, and I'm talking about Gary Howitt. Uh, Jerry Hart really takes a check here by Lysiak. Lysiak really stepped into him, but the puck goes behind the net. Nice from kicking it over to Howard. Howard just wise. He gets the puck, fires on front, and Dennis walks right into the puck with a booming slap shot to the left, to the right of uh, Tony Esposito, uh, low corner, and one nothing New York Islanders. Howard and Nystrom will get the assists, and that's uh, one of those plays where you'd like to give a third because Jerry Hart poked that puck down the boards and took the tough check from Lysiak. And they walked out of Chicago Stadium with an easy sweep. Potvin finished with three goals and four assists for seven points in the four games, numbers indicative of just how complete the Islanders' victory was. Even losing Trottier for a game due to an eye injury hadn't derailed them at all. He said afterward, quote, We were expected to win, and we did it. We won the series, and there were times we weren't even all that great. Against the mostly crappy Blackhawks, they didn't need to be. But their next series would be a completely different animal. By the time the sweep was complete, the Islanders knew who their opponents would be in the semifinals, their regional rivals, the New York Rangers. The teams had seemed to be on a collision course all season long, and while they were confident in their abilities, some Islanders weren't going to take the Rangers lightly. Billy Smith was blunt, saying, quote, I'd rather play Philly. We had better luck against the Flyers. Meanwhile, his crease mate Chico Resch was literally planning the parade route for when the Islanders inevitably won the Stanley Cup. Resch told Newsday, quote, How about this? We start on Hempstead Turnpike. That's a pretty good middle-class road. It's down the center of Long Island. I mean, you don't want to go down Muttontown Road in Brookville where all those fancy houses are. That's not a good cross-section. Or we can just ride around the Coliseum parking lot. He continued naming towns and streets for some time, with Newsday's Pat Calabria happy to let the gregarious goalie feel his oats. Yeah, yeah, we all know what happens next. With the memories of their loss to the Leafs a year earlier all but buried, 
the Islanders would find a new level of disappointment and humiliation in their series against the Rangers. And instead of being smothered by a team of thugs, this time, their opponent would spend most of their time targeting one player, Dennis Potvin. Game 1, played at Nassau Coliseum on April 26, 1979, ended in a 4-1 win for the Rangers, setting the tone for the rest of the series. Potvin had an assist on the Islanders' lone goal, scored by Brian Trottier. But he also was burned by Don Maloney for a goal, and admitted that a failed power play early in the first period took the Islanders out of their game. The Rangers peppered Chico Resch with 38 shots, including a 14-3 advantage in the second, and kept the Islanders from ever establishing themselves. The Isles knew they had to change the dynamic of the series, and did in Game 2. Although the Rangers carried much of the play, and Phil Esposito tied the game at 3 in the third, the Islanders finally did show some energy. And it was in overtime that Potvan, who hadn't had a great game or a series to that point, gave his team the important win that they needed. Kazicki to Lorimer. He shot it into the center ice area. Vickers gets it to Esposito. Esposito. Standard and Hedberg was too closely checked by Kazicki. Islanders come back. Potvan flipping it in. Potvan has it again. A drive. He scores! Dennis Potvan! Dennis Potvin taking a draw pass and probably using Tonelli as a screen, fires that puck and it seems to go right through Davidson's leg right after the Rangers had missed on a great chance when Esposito tried to set up Hedberg. And stand to action, Potvin coming down, making a pass, taking a draw pass right here. He gets in position, he's going to shoot the puck. Tonelli cuts for the net, probably screens Davidson and has that puck Maybe deflected off bad day right through Davidson's leg, and the game's over. Islanders win 4-3. Potvan's winner at 8.02 of overtime was a moment of relief for sure, but it was hardly a reason to celebrate. His shot had actually banked off Carol Vadney's leg and passed Rangers goalie John Davidson. Potvan refused to gloat after the game and told reporters, quote, I'm just glad it's over. I'm my own worst critic, but I can't get too upset. We were scared. The Rangers have instilled fear in us. We feel we're a better team, but now hard work is what will win. Talent won't win it for us. The source of that fear wasn't Rangers coach Fred Shiro or Davidson or one individual player. It was largely assistant coach Mike Nikoluk, who devised a strategy to pressure the Islanders consistently throughout the games. The idea hinged on short shifts, which allowed the Rangers to send wave after wave of fresh players onto the ice and crowd the Islanders at all times. Potvan felt the full force of Nikoluk's game plan, particularly on the power play. The man advantage had been one of the Islanders' best weapons all season, but with quarterback Potvan constantly under duress and his teammates finding it hard to get open, it had been almost totally neutralized by the Rangers. Steve Vickers told Sports Illustrated that, quote, the whole idea is to get yourself in a position where Potvan cannot create a give-and-go situation that he's famous for. For Potvan, it was a living nightmare. Quote, They are staring right into my eyes even after I give up the puck. We pretty much expected they'd put one guy on me. That shouldn't stop us. The other guys can do the job. I think it will all come together. Too bad his teammates were having problems of their own. Clark Gillies was direct, lamenting that, quote, We're standing around. We're not in position. We better shape up or it could be dangerous. As always, Chico Resch tried to be funny, but ultimately provided a good look into the Islanders' psyche 
telling Sports Illustrated's E.M. Swift, quote, Naturally, by Newton's law of tightivity, we're going to be tighter than the Rangers. We're expected to win, and they're not. But if it's handled right, being tight can be an advantage, the same as being loose can. Knowing what was happening and stopping it are two different things. By now, it was clear that mentally, the Islanders were in a bad place. Arbor tried to shake his players out of their funk, saying, quote, Our guys have had fun all year. A lot of this is being created by the media. The thing is, the players can't believe that junk. They've got to believe in themselves. But in Game 3, the Islanders did nothing about changing the narrative. The Rangers dominated once again and won 3-1 to take a 2-1 lead in the series. Mike Bossy had no shots on goal, and the Trio Grande line was again largely absent. The final goal of the game was a direct indignity on Potvan. Stefan Persson's pass to Potvan was picked off by Vickers, who shot the puck between the scrambling Potvan skates and passed Chico Resch. But the truth was that by then, the game was already over. The Islanders complained about the legendarily terrible ice at Madison Square Garden, which didn't allow them to get any good shots on Davidson, but they all knew it wasn't just the slop that was killing them. Arbor said afterward, quote, that our big line has to get going. We've counted on them all year. Only 12 guys are going. We need everyone going. The Islanders needed overtime again to bail them out, this time with Bob Nystrom winning game four on a bizarre goal. Sent on a breakaway thanks to a weird bounce out of the Islanders' zone, Nystrom skated at the puck and it flipped high in the air and over a charging John Davidson. It fell into the net behind the Rangers' goal. No matter, it was an even series again, and the Islanders, the NHL's best team during the regular season, had tied a series they had consistently trailed in, thanks mainly to luck. It wasn't ideal, but they would take it, and they hoped that Nystrom's goal would change the series' momentum. It did not. Game 5 ended 4-3 for the Rangers, who now had their foot on the Islanders' necks. The Islanders came back three times in the game to tie the score, but it was Anders Hedberg's goal with 2.15 left that gave the visitors the victory. Al Arbor issued an ultimatum without naming names, saying, quote, We've got some guys who aren't working like they should, and that's a big hole in our offense. Everyone knew he was talking directly to the trio grande, who were baffled. Brian Trottier said, quote, We're just not playing like we did all season. Meanwhile, Gillies said he had nothing to say. Of the trio, Trottier was the only one to score a goal in the series. And that was way back in Game 1's loss. The reality was that through tight defense and mind games, the Rangers had taken away the Islanders' ability to score. Potvan tried to inject some levity into their situation, channeling John Wayne and saying the Islanders had the Rangers right where we want them. But the two wins they needed to take the series seemed very, very far away. On May 8, 1979, the series ended fittingly with a 2-1 Rangers win at Madison Square Garden. Bossy finally scored his first goal of the series, but it was the definition of too little too late. The Rangers scored twice in the second, and Ron Greshner's power play goal sealed the series for them. Wallachuk will try to take the face off again, Trache. Trache will try to get the puck back to Dennis Potvin. Here we go. Hangs up. Everybody on their feet. Nobody's sitting down. Here comes the drop. Free puck. Rangers have it. Dave Maloney gets it. Not clear. 12 seconds to go. Scramble for it. Islanders extra skater. Gillies tried to put it in front. Duguay in the sideboards. Can't clear. Five seconds to go. Four seconds. It's in front. Rangers will. It's over. The Rangers win the final. 
at Dennis Plotman. What a portrait. My God, look at that. A great competitor. A great team has gone down to defeat. They led all the teams in the National Hockey League. And now you will see the ceremony of the shaking hands at center ice. The Rangers' faithful erupted after the elimination of their hated interlopers from the suburbs. The scoreboard over center ice showed a dot matrix picture of Long Island being smashed by the word Rangers. The Blue Shirts were on their way to the Stanley Cup final against either Montreal or Boston. Even they couldn't believe it. Don Maloney said, quote, Imagine us eliminating the Islanders? If anyone had predicted it, told me this beforehand, I'd have to wonder what he was smoking. As the Rangers celebrated on the ice, Dennis Potvan watched on one knee, exhausted and pale. Yes, John Davidson played the series of his life, and the Rangers' scorers were able to consistently stay ahead of the Islanders. But the real hero of the series was Mike Nikoluk, whose strategy paid off in spades. Focusing on Potvan's corner of the ice meant that either the NHL's best defenseman would be shadowed closely and rendered ineffective, or he would be forced to pass to a teammate that was not Dennis Potvan. They used the Islanders' dependence on Potvan against them, and the defenseman finished the series with that one overtime goal and just three assists. Nikolak told the New York Times' Dave Anderson, quote, We knew he'd be on the ice for 40 minutes. We wanted to wear him down. Well, mission accomplished. Anderson himself wrote that the Rangers had, quote, drained Potvan's stamina and skill, and that the, quote, irresistible Rangers had ignited Manhattan's often dormant interest in hockey. For Potvan and the Islanders, the Rangers hadn't been irresistible. They had been intimidating. The defenseman told Anderson that fear was the most prevalent emotion they felt all series. Quote, fear of making a mistake, fear of losing, on the ice or on the bench. It's an incredible strain. He said that the break the Islanders kept expecting never came. Quote, they came out so strong and stayed that way. That surprised us. I thought they'd have to get tired, but they didn't. And they kept coming. It seemed like every time we scored, they would score again. That got to be very frustrating. Potvan also revealed that at an NHL luncheon a few weeks earlier, he and Ulf Nilsson, whose ankle had healed in time for the final, had their pictures taken with the Stanley Cup in clear defiance of the hockey god's number one rule. Potvan was later heard saying, quote, I jinxed us. It was probably more than a photo with the cup that did the Islanders in. They were on their way home yet again, falling short of their goal in an even more embarrassing fashion than they had the year before. If they thought losing to the Leafs was bad, this defeat, at the hands of their closest and bitterest rivals, was going to be like hell on earth. Bill Smith summed it up saying, quote, All I could think about was, how could we do this? It made me feel sick. Another year, another luncheon in Montreal. On June 11, 1979, the Islanders became the first NHL team to take home three major individual awards in one season. Brian Trottier picked up his Art Ross Trophy as the league's top scorer and won the Hart Trophy as league MVP. At 23, Trottier was the youngest forward ever to win the Hart. Al Arbor, who pushed and prodded his players to perfection all season, was given the Jack Adams Trophy as the NHL's best coach. You can hear episodes on those individual seasons earlier in our series. And Dennis Potvin, 
was given his third Norris Trophy in four seasons as the league's best defenseman. He won in a massive landslide over the previous winner, Larry Robinson, with 228 points to Robinson's 83. Half of all votes went to the 25-year-old Potvan. His 101 points on the season were 28 more than the next defenseman, Borja Salming, who finished with 73. Trottier, Potvan, and Clark Gillies were named first-team All-Stars, and Bossy and Chico Resch were named to the second team, meaning that half of the NHL's postseason All-Stars were Islanders. The teammates were all smiles at the awards event, and Bossy did his French-language radio show, interviewing Potvan along with Ken Dryden and John Bellivaux. But inside, they were all roiling. The raft of hardware they took home, not to mention the franchise finally being on stable financial ground thanks to the work of Bill Torrey and new managing partner John Pickett, and the Rangers going on to lose the Stanley Cup final to the Montreal Canadiens in five mostly non-competitive games, weren't enough to relieve the sting of losing in the playoffs again. Arbor, who drove himself and his players to the brink after their loss to Toronto a year earlier, contemplated leaving the Islanders altogether, despite signing a contract extension at the beginning of the season. The players were all horrified and saddened at the mere thought of going on without radar. It was just another layer of failure to throw on top of the rest. Chokers, soft, weak, complacent, arrogant, once owned by a crook, and now, possibly, driving their beloved coach away due to their own inadequacy. No one knew what the 1979-80 season would bring. Four new clubs would be added to the NHL thanks to the folding of the World Hockey Association and the New York Islanders, the best regular season club in the NHL, had to figure out what they would be next. First, there would be some changes. Defensemen Jerry Hart and Pat Price were lost in the expansion draft to the Quebec Nordiques and the Edmonton Oilers, respectively. Losing the feisty Hart would be a blow, but the Islanders would get some muscle back when Bill Torrey also selected defenseman Dave Langevin in the expansion draft from Edmonton. One familiar face did return when winger Richie Hansen was sent to Minnesota to complete an earlier trade for Jean Potvin. The elder Potvin was so elated to return to Long Island that he vowed, quote, I won't even ask for my old number four back, as long as they give me a jersey. Jean would play 32 games for the Islanders the next season and join their broadcasting crew at times, setting the stage for his second career. Getting his brother back wouldn't be the only thing different for Dennis Potvin in 1979-80. Before the season, team captain Clark Gillies relinquished the C after two years, feeling that the responsibility had become too much for him. Quote, I was conscious of the older guys on the team and it was hard for me to criticize. I didn't like being the middleman between players and management. It took up more time than I wanted to. My play didn't suffer, but in the back of my mind, I didn't particularly like it. Gillies consulted with Tori and Arbor, and all three knew who the right man was for the captaincy. Gillies would later say, quote, I talked to Bill and Al, and we came to the conclusion that Denny would be a good choice. He could handle the mental pressures, and he'd been around. Potvin accepted the assignment immediately, and felt he could be a bridge in the locker room the way that original captain Ed Westfall or Gillies couldn't be. Quote, Ed Westfall was a good captain as an older guy. It was the right thing for him to be captain. But sometimes, he couldn't give the younger guys what they needed. Then Clarkie took over, not necessarily willingly. He took it as more of a burden than an honor. That, to me, is the biggest difference in the way I look at the responsibility. Also, management selected me. It wasn't a player vote. It's not necessarily the most popular player who should be the captain. 
I still feel like a kid trying to prove myself in the NHL. I enjoy the responsibility of being older. I've always wanted it, even as a kid. Podfan's first order of business was helping the Islanders find that missing ingredient that had kept them from getting to the Stanley Cup final. He told reporters before the season, quote, I'm at the end of my rope, just as Bill and Al are. We've done almost everything, from being the worst team in the league to a hardworking contender. Why is this last hump still here? If we don't do it this year, I don't want to live with myself next summer. As usual for the Islanders, nothing came easy. Potvan would miss over 40 games in the 79-80 season to two injuries. First a collarbone strain, then a torn ligament in his thumb. By the time he returned for good, the Islanders were muddling through a disjointed subpar regular season that had raised yet more questions about whether or not they could ever get over that hump. Of course, the Islanders would do it that year, and Dennis Potvan would finally complete his transformation, from precocious phenom to young national star, from egocentric outsider to team leader, from playoff choker to captain of a champion, and again, and again, and again. Yeah, the 78-79 season was a lot for the Islanders. This is the third time we've discussed this season in this series, because in many ways, it's the most fascinating in franchise history. Never before or since have the Islanders been so individually successful and yet so collectively destroyed. Almost every player gave everything they had to give, and it ended in the worst playoff loss they could imagine. A lot of the details would be forgotten, as would much of the pre-dynasty era. But without this season's absolute torment, it's hard to imagine the Islanders finding it within themselves to become champions. For Dennis Potvan, his third Norris Trophy season represents the individual pinnacle of his career. He wouldn't come close to 31 goals or 101 points again. Instead, he'd have to settle for captaining one of the greatest teams in the history of professional sports. I think that's a trade-off he's more than satisfied with. This was also the last time a New York Islander was named the NHL's best defenseman. Potvan would come in second in 1981 and fourth in 1984. But other than that, the accolades for Islanders' blue liners were few and far between. Adrian O'Coin's fifth-place finish in 2004 was the closest anyone would come in the intervening years. Players like Ken Morrow, Kenny Janssen, and Mark Streit all got Norris votes, as have Ryan Pollock and Adam Pellick. Dennis Potvan has been one of this franchise's cornerstones since the moment he first put on an Islanders jersey in 1973. By 1979, he had put together a season so dominant that no one has even sniffed it ever since. The ending might not have been what anyone wanted, but what he did that season shouldn't be overlooked or take it for granted. Islanders Award Winners is written, produced, and edited by Dan Saracen. Special thanks to Kevin Schultz. Visit Kevin's shop at VintageIceHockey.com where you can get t-shirts, hoodies, and jerseys featuring over 100 classic hockey logos. VintageIceHockey.com also has our Al Arbor and The Island merch, and our portion of the sales go directly to the Center for Dementia Research. Be sure to visit LighthouseHockey.com every day and subscribe to Islanders Anxiety Podcasts. Sign up at Patreon.com slash Islanders Anxiety for even more. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Islanders Anxiety Podcasts are part of the Fans First Sports Network. To learn more, log on to fansfirstsports.com.